Well, good morning. <clears throat> I want to welcome each and every one of you this morning to Paradise Valley Christian Church. Thanks for taking the time to join us. We just are excited in this new year of 2020 to continue to follow God's leading in each and every one of our lives. And uh, as we've already made it through a whole month of January in 2020, it's crazy to, to see all the, the many blessings that have been poured out on us as a church family, and maybe you've seen God work mightily individually in your lives. And again, as we live in a broken world, there's times where we go through some struggles, and the reality is, is that uh, the awesome part about this, as we go through the struggles, that God is there in the midst of all of it. And so uh, I'm just thankful this morning to be here to share with you. I've been out of the pulpit a couple weeks, and I thank you for those uh, that were willing to, to fill in. And as last week, we had our winter whitewash weekend, and uh, what a praise the Lord. We had a, a great time. We had 350 kids show up to the event. We had 115 adult sponsors there, and out of the 340 or so lift tickets, we only had like three slight minor injuries uh, that took place, and so praising God that uh, it was just a great weekend. Uh, I, I heard from a group from Arapahoe that they had a student that is planning to be immersed into Christ to surrender their lives over to God, and so praising God for that. Uh, it was awesome to gather together uh, last Sunday in the Griffin Theater with over 500 or so people because we joined with Whitewater Christian Church, and it was fun to see all those people come together, and it just made me think about where this church desires to go and to grow and to reach out to our community of 60,000 people. And even if we were just to reach 3% of the population here in Casper, what that would look like on a Sunday morning as we continue to grow in our relationship with God, as we continue to disciple, as we continue to reach the lost for him. And it was, it was fun to, to imagine, to imagine more of what God is wanting to do through this church body. I'm praising God for our Wednesday night family nights that have been taking place since the beginning of January. Uh, all the people that are involved teaching and preparing and being uh, available to help out wherever needed. And thank you for those who have been able to attend. If you have not had a chance to attend, that's all right. I understand schedules don't always allow that. But if you are available on a Wednesday night, uh, please come and join us. It's a fun time of unity and fellowship and just growth in our relationship with God. And then uh, just praising God already this month of January, we had a couple of baptisms. We had some individuals place membership as part of the body of Christ here at PV. And uh, thanking God for that, that God is at work in in individual lives. This coming and a couple of weeks, Summit Christian College will be here. Aaron Prose will be speaking. And so I just want to encourage you ahead of time, uh, it's going to be mentioned in the announcement video, but just begin to pray about kind of how you might be able to encourage the college through a love offering that will be taken up that week. And then the last thing before we get into the message, a couple weeks ago I had a chance to kind of have the family come up along the stage. And uh, if you were not here, apologize. I should have a picture on the screen, but I don't. Uh, but I have seven kids. If you don't already know that, my oldest is Bailey. Uh, she's 16, turns 17, February 11th. And then they kind of go down by twos, Brinley, uh, and then Bodie, and then Briley, and then Brady, and then Bria, and then Brooks. And then foolishly, we named our dog Bronx. But uh, didn't have a chance to introduce everyone to you that week just because we were waiting on a few things. But uh, I do want to introduce, and I can't quite introduce you to them, this individual yet, but uh, 
just to give you a heads up, a public announcement, my wife and I are having another baby. So, <clears throat> we're excited. I love new life. Uh, scripture speaks about new life, spiritual new life, physical new life. God is at work in uh, many of our lives. And I just want to say, I'm doing my part to grow the youth group. <laughs> All right? So, you know, there's more than one way to grow a youth group or a church body, and I'm doing my part, so some of you else out there, you can join in, and that would be awesome, but uh, we're praising God, uh, we're hopefully, uh, as the time goes on, we're praising God for the opportunity to, to have a new life uh, in July, and so... Be praying about that for us, and we're just excited. We figured, you know, we kind of make it an even 10. You know, there's nine of us now. We'll make it an even 10, so we'll be the, the Gwen 10, or, you know, we thought it would be kind of funny to make an announcement that said, hashtag, we're pregnant, a Gwen. <laughs> so we're excited. We, we love kids. We love uh, babies especially, and uh, we love our older kids too, but... Uh, <laughs> Last week, Todd Erickson got us back into the Here, There sermon series as we're going through 1 Peter. So if you want to turn over to 1 Peter chapter 3, we're going to begin in verse 8 here in just a moment. A preacher named Bob Diggenbaugh shared a story where he said, Years ago, as I walked across my college campus to my next class, a, a fellow student happened to be walking with me. As usual in Seattle, it had been raining and the ground was wet. There was a vast array of sidewalks, but also some muddy paths in the lawn where students had cut quarters to get to class. And as we approached one muddy path in the lawn where students cut corners, as we approached this spot, there was an obviously hurried co-ed that attempted to pass us on our right. Moving too quickly for her footing, she began to fall with books flying into the air as she desperately reached out to catch her balance. And it might have worked had not the fellow beside me, who could have been the hero of the day, jumped back just as she reached out to catch hold of him, allowing her to sprawl headlong into the mud." It was a pathetic scene as the girl attempted to salvage some scrap of human dignity by snatching up her books and running off out of public view. Since there was now nothing we could do, the other fellow and I began making our way to class again. Sensing the need to explain his actions, the student explained, I, I thought she was trying to attack me. Now, here was an amazing thought. This young girl was trying to attack this young man, and, and the young man could think of nothing else better to do than jump back and allow her to fall. Here was a man who desperately needed help. Yet we find a parable in this story. All too many Christians shrink back as fellow believers and others fall right before their very eyes. We are a nation so caught up in our ourselves, so caught up in our own lives, so introspective and self-seeking that many times we do not even recognize what is taking place until it's too late. And when we do see others in need, 
needing help. Like the priest and the Levite in the story of the Good Samaritan, we oftentimes avoid becoming involved. And if we are going to have an influence in the world for Jesus, then we need to be willing to put our faith on display. And as we are on the stage of this world and the world is looking at us, do we put our faith on display? As we look back into 1 Peter, the the verses and the chapters before chapter 3, we see some different things taking place. And as I look back, is is our faith on display in the area of how we interact with the government or leadership? Is our faith on display when it comes to how we interact with those we work for? What about in the area of our homes? Is our faith on display when it comes to husbands and wives, as Todd spoke about last week? And now here in 1 Peter 3, 8 through 12, Peter challenges us to put our faith on display when it comes to how we interact with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. As we look at these verses, I see three areas of our lives that we are challenged in if we're going to put our faith on display. If you were to take notes this morning, I would encourage you to write down our attitude, our response, and our motive or our motivation. And so if you want to turn over to 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 8, I'm reading from the New International Version. It says, finally, after everything he shared with us previously, finally, all of you, because he's writing to Christians, he's writing to believers, he's speaking to us this morning, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must speak peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Will you pray with me? Father, this morning, may you use your word to convict our hearts that our lives would change and that the world around us would change because of you living through us. And it's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. You see, as you look in verse 8, there's a five-fold description that I want to unravel for you quickly. And he begins again with saying, finally, all of you, all of you Christians, live in harmony. And some translations say, be like-minded or be of one mind. Do you think that's really possible? I mean, how is it possible for all of us gathered together to be of one mind? For many of us, we think the definition of being like-minded is you agreeing with me. Then we're like-minded. As one preacher once said, 
That's not unity. That's uniformity. And God doesn't call us to that. We are all going to have different ideas and opinions on different things, but that doesn't mean that we can't be unified on the essential things taught in Scripture. In fact, Romans 12 verse 16 says, Be of the same mind toward one another. Ephesians 4, 3 through 6 shares with us, Being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And then if you were to turn over to Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. We Christians should seek to be harmonious in our relationships with all men, especially our fellow believers. Second, there in verse 8, as we read in the NIV, it says, be sympathetic. The Greek word used here is sympathio. It comes from two words, pathos, which means to feel, or it means to have an emotion, or, or to hurt. And the word sun, or sum, which means together. To feel together. It literally means feel the same thing. And it's interesting, as Peter says just previously, to be of one mind, he now then says to to have the same feelings, to work together. And I think about this idea of sympathy. I heard a, a good definition of sympathy. It's this idea of your hurt in my heart. Your hurt in my heart as I visited Chris and Lauren Miller, who their baby Ezekiel, who's two and a half years old, is up in the hospital having a real hard time breathing, is getting better. But as I was up there, I was just I was sympathetic for them. Brady, our eight-year-old, uh, he, he's our hardest, he, he has the hardest time breathing when he gets sick. And, and, and it's a scary thing to not be in control. To, to have no ability to, to make sure everything's going to work out. And so their hurt I was feeling in my heart as baby Ezekiel is just laying on Chris's lap, just barely, hardly even moving, just breathing with oxygen in his nose. Your hurt in my heart. Romans twelve fifteen says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. 1 Corinthians 12, 26 says, talking about the body of Christ, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. You see, that is how we are to feel together. Do we truly care about one another 
the way that Peter calls us to? If you continue on in verse 8, look at the third on the list. Love as brothers. And I, I, I don't know, I, you just got to stop right there. I mean, this idea of love as brothers, because I had an older brother growing up. And that doesn't really like translate very well in my mind. I, I think about this idea of loving as brothers, and I don't necessarily feel all warm and fuzzy inside. And those of you who have siblings, or especially if you've had a brother, you know that there are times when you just want to chase your brother down and tackle them to the ground, you know? In fact, I remember... Growing up, uh, there was a, my sister had finished the fifth grade, uh, I had finished the seventh grade, and my brother, who's two years older, had finished the eighth grade, and my parents said, if once we do that, then we're going to take a trip to Disney World, and so we're in Disney World, the happiest place in the world, you know, but we're technically at Typhoon Lagoon, which is part of Disney World, but that's a water park, and we're at the water park, and for some reason, my brother and I, and my sister, my sister and I were kind of tag teaming, my brother was just bugging us, and we were not getting along, to the point where we were kind of out on our own, our parents were just kind of hanging by the pool, and we were out on the slides, and my brother just kept bugging me, bugging me, bugging me, to the point where I was walking and he pushed me in the back and I had enough and I'm not a very big guy obviously still not but I just turned around and I just went (gasps) swung my arm as hard as I could at whatever was going to be there and my brother's jaw was there and boom and he went down to the ground and I'm looking at him and I just like oh no he's going to kill me you know and I just took off running. He chased me down to the point where, and I'm like, oh, don't hit me. And he's all, he's all, I just want to, I just want to be friends. Let's, you know, I, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm sorry. And he apologized in that moment. And the rest of the day went well. But that's not really what Peter's saying when he says brotherly love. When he says love as brothers and sisters. You see, do you really love others that are part of this body the way Peter is calling you to? Do you realize that you put your faith on display when you love your brother and sister in Christ like you should? And in fact, 1 John 3.14 says, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. If you are a new creation, if you have a new life in Christ, then it's shown to the world through the love that you have for your fellow brother and sister in Jesus. Look at the fourth thing in this description in verse 8. In the NIV, it says, be compassionate. In the New Living Translation and other translations, it says, be tenderhearted. And this is kind of a difficult word to translate because it, it comes from the original Greek word, splachnos. And for many of you this morning, you've heard the definition of splachnos. It's the, the idea of actually literally meaning your intestines, your kidneys, your guts, your heart, your liver. That's what it refers to when it's talking about splachnos. And a literal translation of this word would be, have good bowels. And I'm thinking, why is he using this terminology here? Why, why? But the reality is, is that a couple thousand years ago, in the ancient world, it was believed that the deepest emotions that a person feels 
We're in the intestinal region. And of course, we kind of still use some of those phrases today. Like, what is your gut telling you? Or, I can feel it in my gut. Even though this idea of being tender-hearted might be difficult to translate, the concept here is that we as a church must be deeply concerned for others. Let me put it to you this way. The church ought to be the place where the walking wounded feel at home. People who are wounded and beat up by this world should be able to come and know that they are going to be taken care of and that they are going to be loved. I heard it said once this way, the church is not to be a hotel for the healthy, but a hospital for the hurting. Now, I don't know about you, but I enjoy hotels, hospitals not so much. But the reality of what the church is supposed to be is the church is supposed to be a hospital for the hurting. Are we compassionate for one another to the point that we are willing to step out of our comfort zones and pour into the lives of our fellow believers in Christ? I pray that we are. The fifth description is be humble or humble-minded. And, and for many of us this morning, that seems like a pretty common thing that we speak about and teach here as part of the, the church. But that wasn't the way it was a long time ago. Peter wrote this at a time of the Greco-Roman era where that wasn't all that common. Humble-mindedness was not considered a virtue. It was considered a weakness. Only weak people are humble people. And when the Greeks conquer people, in their minds, they were turning those people into humble-minded people. They were their slaves. And for many at that time, being humble-minded would have been the opposite of how they thought they should live. And sadly, the same is true for many today. To put others before myself, well, that's just crazy talk, isn't it? In fact, when we get into our 15-passenger van, there's been many times where we're fighting about, we'll scoot over to the next seat. Well, no, I want to sit in this seat. This seat's the one I want to sit in. You go find your other seat. I'm not going to move. We're worried about ourselves. Maybe when we're handing out a plate of cookies and we look at, yeah, I'd like a, a cookie, and we find the, the biggest cookie on the plate. Because that's our mentality, and, and we want the biggest piece of the pie. And yet the perfect example of being humble calls us to put ourselves, to put others before ourselves. As Paul writes in Philippians 2, verses 1 through 11, he says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete. Here it is again. By being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. 
Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, it's not about us. It's not about what I want. It's not about the, having things done my way. It's about doing things God's way and doing what God wants. God wants to see our faith on display, and all five of these form a beautiful description of the general attitude of the believer which is all wrapped up in love. And you might be thinking, okay, yep, I, I'm going to work on that with my, my good friend in the church. I'm going to do my best to be harmonious. And, and I'm gonna, that, that sounds good, Charles. I got it. I'm going to work on it. Good to go. And yet Peter doesn't stop there, does he? Verse 8 talks about those that we're getting along well with. What about in verse 9? He's turning from people that are nice to you in the church to people that maybe are not so nice to you at times. People that are mean to you or, or don't always treat you nicely. What do you do if someone is really grouchy and, and gripes or insults you or tries to hurt you within the church? Well, let's look at verse 9. Our response. Our response from verse 9 says, Do not repay evil with evil. Or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. And I don't know about you, but there are many times in my house or in my vehicles where there's a lot of fighting that takes place and, and some name calling that goes on, and sometimes it goes to something like this, you know, oh yeah, well you're dumb. Okay, well, then the response is, well, you're dumber. And then pretty soon they're like, well, you're not my friend anymore. And then pretty soon, well, you're not my friend either. You know, pretty witty responses for the most part. <laughs> and pretty soon there's hitting and screaming that takes place. And, you know, I'm sure that none of that has ever happened in your houses or your vehicles and then all this yelling and name-calling and hitting goes back and forth. And what we would classify as not good behavior, or by default, if we were looking to this passage of Scripture, evil and insults are being repaid until someone is crying, usually. And my wife or I have to step in the middle of it and put a stop to it. 
See, that is not how we are to respond to those who treat us poorly. Whether Peter is referring to those inside the church or outside the church, it it doesn't really make a difference. Our response to those who are trying to hurt us is to not respond in retaliation. And guess what? When we respond with blessing, as Scripture tells us to, we ourselves will inherit a blessing. You see, we can't hit back, we can't fight back, and we can't even yell back. We are called to bless back. To bless back is this idea of wanting the best for that other person. And no matter what they are doing to you, your responsibility back to them is to want the best to take place in their lives. And that is hard. Uh, It's very hard. In fact, if you think about the life of Peter, he wasn't always real good at not retaliating. If you remember when Jesus and his disciples, they were in the Garden of Gethsemane, and they came to arrest Jesus. And the Roman soldiers came, and remember what Peter did. We read in John 18.10, it says, Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant. And if you'll just for a moment, let me interject here and say, Praise God that Peter was a fisherman and not a swordsman. Because I would speculate that Peter was probably going for the guy's head. And he missed. Praise the Lord. And the rest of verse 10 says, he cut off the right ear of the high priest's servant. And what was Jesus' response to Peter's actions? Jesus said, put your sword away. In another account, Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. You see, Peter learned from his mistake of repaying evil with evil that it doesn't work and it isn't what God wants from us as his holy people. In fact, God calls us to take it a step further. Not only should we not retaliate, but as Matthew 5.44 says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, prayerfully, you don't consider anyone in the church body here your enemy, but I guarantee you there may have been a time or two when you thought, man, I don't really enjoy that person very much. Or or maybe, man, that individual really kind of rubs me the wrong way. I would prefer that I wouldn't ever have to interact with them in my lifetime. And yet, God calls us to love them and to pray for them. And when you begin to pray for those in the church, no matter who they are, you begin to change. It begins to change you. And it also begins to change the church. The church begins to be strengthened. The church begins to become healthier And the church begins to grow as the world on the outside that looks in sees a body 
of believers that love one another and care about one another and the church begins to grow because our faith is put on display. And that is what our response should be in the church. So how do you put your faith on display? Well, it begins with your general attitude of love from verse 8. And by your gentle response of blessing from verse 9. And third, by our genuine motivation. If you look at the rest of these verses, verses 10 through 12, there's some motivation that takes place with this idea of inheriting a blessing, of how we're to live our lives and and the good things that come. And so we read in verse 10, For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. You see, this is why we are to put our faith on display. Verse 8 is how we put our faith on display. And verse 9 is how we are to not put our faith on display. And verses 10 through 12 is why we put our faith on display. Because God says so. Way back in the Old Testament, as Peter quotes, if you look in your little notes at the bottom of your Bible, it tells you where this is quoted from. Psalm chapter 34 Verses 12 through 16. Peter is quoting this psalm. And so let me ask you something. Do you want to be right with God? Do you want a good life? Do you want to have a good day? Then be obedient to what God is calling you to do in these verses. We are to watch what we say. To watch how we live. To love people the way that God loves people. People in the church and people outside of the church. It doesn't matter how they treat you. It matters how you treat them. And I always tell my kids that you can't control somebody else's actions or what they say or their attitudes. But one thing that you can control with the help of God is that you have control over your own actions, your own speech, and your own attitudes. And according to verse 12, God's eyes are on the righteous, and he is listening attentively to their prayers. You see, God wants to bless you, meaning he wants the best for you in this life and the life to come. And it doesn't mean you aren't, you aren't going to face trials or difficulties in this life. What it means is that God is going to be there every step of the way to help you through. May we put our faith on display that the world may be changed. And so this morning, in just a moment, we're going to sing a song of invitation, a song of commitment. And if you're struggling with putting your faith on display... You feel like you're falling short time and time again. We'd encourage you to come. We'd love to pray with you and encourage you through that prayer time. And maybe you've never really surrendered your life over to Christ in order for you to even begin to start putting your faith on display. If you need to 
give your life to God this morning, we'd invite you to come. And if this morning you just need to get plugged into a church body and you want to work alongside other believers here at PV, as we stand, will you come as we sing?